0: Fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world, around the world. This This. is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Podcast. You made it. You're here at episode 198, and this is what we've got coming up for you this week.
1: Hello, I'm Jacob Prime. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ploy, and your client staff will be signing up to SaaS applications that they're not aware of, and I can help you find those risks and make money on the way.
0: And on top of that fascinating interview with Jacob, we're also talking about a better and more emotional way to send messages to both your prospects and your existing clients. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Tell me, what car do you drive? I ask that because I'm lucky enough to have a Tesla. I've had a Model 3 for about 20 months or so, so I'm very used to it now. And there are lots of things I don't like about it. a bit rattly, if I'm honest, um, as in the build quality isn't so good. But there are also many things I love about it. And if I had to change tomorrow, I'm on a three-year lease, so I don't have to. If I had to change tomorrow, I'd get exactly the same model again. Um, one of the, well, there are sort of two things I love the most about it. One is, it's like a phone. The software is constantly updating, so it's really cool to get in a, of a morning and, and there are new things, new features, and new toys, which is cool, so I like that. But the thing I love more than anything is the acceleration. The, I, I can't describe it because I've never really had a performance car before. I'm not really a car person, but the the acceleration in this is, it's insane. I can see why they called it ludicrous. And I don't even have the performance model. I've got the sort of the middle one, which is the long range. Uh, but you, you put your foot down and unlike a, a, a petrol or a diesel car, you you know, there's, there's no lag, there's no going up and down the gears, even with an automatic. It's just pure accelerating power. And I may, may a couple of times, not on public roads, obviously, officer, but I may have gone from a standing start to like 100 miles an hour. And just, just for fun, which takes about... 2.6, 2.7 seconds? Maybe a bit longer? I, I don't know. You can Google it and see what it will do. Um, the point is, it's terrifyingly quick, and you get near 100, and you, and there's no... It's like the acceleration doesn't stop. It's not like, in, in, again, in a fuel car, you get to that point, don't you, where you hit higher speeds, and the acceleration starts to drop off, but not in an electric car. Maybe all electric cars are like this, to varying degrees. Not the Nissan Leaf, that's for sure. That's. I don't think that does above 10 miles an hour. Anyway, I sound like I know about cars now and I I really don't. The reason I mention this is I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about when he bought his first car with a turbo. Now, I I didn't really know what a turbo is, but apparently it's 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 a thing in the engine that spins. And I know if you're into cars, you're sitting there now with your head in your hands thinking, Paul, why don't you know these things? I, I don't know these things. Don't really care, to be honest. But anyway, so that turbo is a thing that spins around. And what my friend was telling me, he got um, some, it was like some 1980s Ford things, Ford Performance car that we had here in the in the UK, probably like a Sierra or something, which are just hilariously bad cars. And um, he was saying to me that the, the early turbos had a massive lag. So you would floor the, the, the accelerator, the gas pedal, and basically nothing would happen for like two seconds, because what, what was happening was the engine was sucking in air or whatever, whatever powers the turbo. But anyway, the point is it took time for the turbo to, to kick in. And modern modern cars are a bit different um, because they're modern. They've got electronics and stuff. But the, the, these older cars were like that. So he said to me, he said it was really weird. You hit the gas pedal and nothing happened. There was a lag, and then suddenly poof, the acceleration started, and it would just go and go and go and go. And as he was telling me this, because I'm dull, I instead of listening to the conversation, I was thinking that's like marketing. That's exactly what it's like to market an MSP. You put your foot on the gas pedal. And there's a lag. Nothing happens for a little while. And then what happens is you start to build up momentum. Because every, well, it, it all comes down to the way that people buy managed services, the way they look for an IT company, and especially how much the, how good the retention is for your kind of business. So, you know, you, you think about, well, take, take an area, take your town. Let's say there are a thousand businesses. Right now, today, one, maybe two of those businesses are unhappy with their incumbent. IT support firm or they've got a problem and maybe they don't have IT support or they're just looking. So there's, let's say there's two in the market today, tomorrow there'll be another two, it's a different two. The day after there'll be another two that are available. But once they have found themselves a managed service provider, once they are kind of locked into a contract, they, they don't leave. And you may have looked at your retention and thought, yeah, we're really good at keeping clients. I hate to break it to you, you probably are good at keeping clients, but so are most MSPs. Part of that is down to good customer service service. But a big part of that is also what we call inertia loyalty, where ordinary business owners and managers perceive it's too hard to leave you and go over to someone else. And this is why the the, the opposite effect of this is if you've ever met a prospect and it seems the right match, you seem good for them, they seem good for you. And then at the last minute, they sign another contract with their incumbent that they don't really like that they've spent the last six weeks criticizing. And you don't understand that and you, you wonder what you've done wrong. You've done nothing wrong. It's just for them, the perceived pain of switching IT suppliers is greater than the perceived benefits of moving over to you. Keep keep on them. They will come over to you at some point. They'll certainly switch over to someone at some point. But this is what causes the lag. So when you start doing the marketing, putting in place like a weekly marketing system, say, where you're putting out a blog and a video every week onto your website, and sending out an email that drives traffic back to that blog, putting on social media content, some of which is driving traffic back to that blog, and sending out a weekly LinkedIn newsletter. That, by the way, is the weekly marketing system that we base the MSP Marketing Edge around. Go and have a look at mspmarketingedge.com for details of that. Did I just do a naughty, blatant plug? I think I did. Anyway, when you do something like that, it takes time. You can start doing perfect marketing today, but there will be a lag. It will take time to generate leads. It will take time to get those leads warmed up. It will take time to turn them into actual prospects and meetings for you. And the trick for you is not to lose faith while you've got the gas pedal down, but nothing seems to be happening. It's the turbo. Your marketing is the turbo that's firing up with whatever it does and getting ready to give you a massive, massive boost. You've got to keep your pedal down. People only buy when they are ready to buy. And the trick for you and how you can beat all the other MSPs in your area is to be there with your gas on the pedal. So at the point the turbo kicks in, no one else will ever be able to catch you. Here's this week's Clever Idea. I love being alive and being in marketing in this day and age, in 2023. And the reason I love it is there are so many cool tools that you can use. You probably feel the same way about IT. You know, let's be honest, there's what, 20 new vendors launched in the last five seconds. And they're all offering really cool things to to help you do your job, to help you uh, service your clients better, to protect your clients. We are truly in a very blessed age when there are so many tools around. And I was just looking the other day, you know, when you sort of just looking through some of the tools that you use, on a regular basis, asking yourself, is there a better tool to do this? Can I save a little bit of money? Or can I get some better functionality? Or actually, are we all right with what we've got? And even even a marketer like me can fall prey to stack fiddling. My stack is marketing tools. Your stack, of course, is your PSA, your RMM, all those other tools. And stack fiddling is never a good thing, but it is a good thing to review what you're using on a regular basis. One of my favorite communication tools right now is something called Vidyard. And There are other, many alternatives. There's Loom. Loom is a very popular one. Uh, is Bonjoro another one? Just Google alternatives to Vidyard. But what Vidyard allows you to do is it allows you to create a personalized video, send it to someone really easily, like so easy where you can embed the video into an email and then track whether or not They have opened that video and we use it for all sorts of things. So we use it primarily I use it for briefing my team. Uh, I use it for or uh, welcomes to our clients. When we get new members of the MSP Marketing Edge, I send them a personalized video just to say, hi, and thank you very much for joining. We use it in a whole variety of, of different ways. If I ran an MSP, I would equally use that tool a great deal because sending a video answer to something, although that there's a time burden for you to create that video and a time burden for the person who's got to watch that video, it's 2023, right? We consume video at, at a greater rate than we've ever done. And if you think about it from a, a human psychology point of view, video is a much more uh, natural way of communicating than typing some words on a screen. So we still have the same basic caveman brains or cavewoman brains that we had 100,000 years ago. And 100,000 years ago, we didn't have emails or indeed any kind of written language. What we had was faces and speaking and gesturing and all this kind of stuff. So our brains are optimised for that. And in the last 50, 70 years or so, I guess with emails and memos and typing, we've moved away from that and we've moved to written communications. And there's a couple of hundred years, I suppose since uh, since the printing press was invented, but you get the idea. It's kind of an unnatural communication method for us, and it's why sometimes we can misinterpret what someone means in an email. So I think if you've got a client and you're trying to explain something to them, do them a loom. Do them a vidyard. In fact, if you're really smart, let's say you had a series of, well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you've used the 80-20 rule to analyze the kind of tickets that you have. And you've realized that 80% of your tickets, it's the same problems over and over again. So sometimes you need to, to fix those problems, yeah. And sometimes it's just advising the client how to do something or, or you know, why what what the instructions are. Um, you could be very smart and create a series of looms for those. And I don't mean sort of professionally filmed, hello, thank you so much for telling us you want to reset your password. Here's what you need to do. I don't mean that. I mean, literally, you know, you on your phone or you or your senior tech on on a camera uh, being like, oh, hi, hi, thanks very much. Um, Look, resetting your password is really easy. I'm just going to talk you through it. Let me just do a quick screen share, kind of rough and ready, as if you've just done it but actually you could pre-record a whole load of those and then just send them out every time you get a ticket in asking, hey, how do I do this? Uh, that, that would be a smart way to do it. You, you might feel it a smart idea to give Vidyard or Loom or whatever to all of your techs so they can just do their own video uh, replies to someone. So if it's not something that's kind of templated, uh, template video, then they can just record one. Now that's that's just delivery. The real power of these videos comes in prospecting. So, for example, if you are sending a proposal through to someone You send it through with with a personalized video, particularly if you're using one of the tools that allows you to track whether or not they're opening it. I know some of the proposals tools allow you to attach a video and track whether they've watched it, but it's a very powerful thing to do. Uh, You could do exactly the same with follow ups. You could do exactly the same if you were asking a client for a quarterly business review or a strategic business review, as I prefer to call them, because quarterly is overkill. The point being, once you've got a tool like this, you start to, and and we, we use the one we use is I think like 30 dollars a month which is nothing because you start as you as you're creating an email reply to someone or a communication you find yourself looking at the icon embedded into your into your browser and you think maybe i should just do that as a video as a quick video and that's actually exactly the right way to think Uh, these kind of video emails video communications are so so powerful just one thought on that if you are going to do that do invest properly in kit. You want a decent camera, you want a decent microphone and of course, decent lighting as well. And that doesn't mean you need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on all of your team. Uh, you might just want to make sure that everyone's just got a basic ring light and, a, you know, an, a, an HD webcam and and a half decent microphone. And, and sometimes those ones on the earpieces that come down next to your, to your mouth, sometimes they're pretty rubbish. So it's just worth doing some test recordings. You might just be better off with a desk USB mic. That's all I use. Uh, same ones I'm using for this podcast anyway however you do it whichever software you pick try it experiment with it video communication is such a powerful thing it talks directly to their emotions and remember people make buying decisions whether to buy from you or not based on what their emotions say the more you can influence their emotions the better pause pause blatant plug blatant plug I am very naughty because twice already in this podcast, I've mentioned the MSP Marketing Edge. So now we're actually in the blatant plug bit. Let me tell you what it is. It is a weekly marketing system, like I mentioned earlier, where all of the elements that you need are done for you. My team have done them so you don't need them. You put a blog and a video on your website. The video is done. We have UK, US and Australian versions. The blog is written for you. We can even put it onto your website for you using our auto blog plugin on WordPress websites. Then you send out an email to your email list, and that sends traffic back to the blog. Uh, So you're driving traffic back to your website. Then you post a week's worth of social media, again, including a post that drives them back to your website. And then you do a LinkedIn newsletter. And the LinkedIn newsletter is the exact same content as the blog. Now that is the MSP Marketing Edge weekly marketing system. And that's kind of just the start, but it's a very good start. Because if you get that system set up, you're doing marketing on a regular basis. And remember what we were saying earlier about the Turbo, you put that in place, you keep doing it week in, week out, and after a delay, you'll start to get more leads, more engagement, and you'll start to get some prospect meetings, which is exciting. But there's so much more. That's kind of like 10% of what we offer. We have tools for your website, there are guides, there are even more videos, there are books, there's an IT services buyer's guide, there are some very cool web tools, there's an almost unlimited number of marketing things that you can use, plus an exclusive members-only community, plus direct one-on-one support from me and my team, plus you're the only MSP in your area that can use it. Because we only work with one MSP per area. So the first step is to go and see whether or not your area is still free or whether one of your competitors beat you to it. You can put your postal code or your zip code into our website at MSPMarketingEdge.com.
1: The big, Big, big
0: Big Interview. Hey, I'm Jacob Prime, and I'm the founder of the SaaS security company, Ploy. And thank you so much for joining us, Jacob. A bit of an unusual interview for the kind of the end of August here, because normally when I get guests on the show, I'm very specific and I say to them, no adverts. We're not interested in your business. We're not interested in what you do and how you can do it. But you're a little bit different. So you were introduced to me uh, by one of my MSP Marketing Edge members, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom, for that introduction and putting us together. And what piqued my interest when I spoke to you, Jacob, is the fact that you're only, what, four, four and a half months into your journey uh, setting up as a vendor. And um, I was really shocked by this because your website is really mature. It's a really nice website. It fooled me. It made me think that you'd been around for a long time. And yeah. the more you and I taught, the more I realized, actually, this is a fascinating story of how does a vendor get started from scratch? So that's what we're going to explain in uh, today's interview. Now, before we get into the story, just give us a sort of a 15 second overview of what ploy is and what it does, just because that sets some context to the conversation we're about to have? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: Ploy is essentially a platform that finds what applications your employees are using, simply put. So if they're signing up to Calendly, they're logging into Facebook, we've had people who have signed up to Tinder using their work email rather foolishly. Ploy is going to show you all those apps that are being used and all the risks that are associated with them.
0: Cool. And as we're talking about this as an MSP, I want you to look at this as A, a w- another way for you to protect your clients from themselves. I think the Tinder example is a great example there. Uh, but B, also to look at this as it's potentially another revenue stream. Because I think anytime you have a new security service, you'll immediately have some clients that jump into your head and you think, oh, actually, this client who's regulated or this client who, who needs to have a higher than normal security level, they need to buy something like this. So, Jacob. Take us back however long you need to take us back and and tell us how this came about because you're not the, the the sort of the normal entrepreneurial spark story of where someone's sitting doing something and thinks, oh, I can do this a better way. How did all of this get started?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know how how far to go back. I did computer science at university and somehow ended up in sales, but we won't go we won't go that far back. But um, my co-founder and I, Harry, we both previously worked at another security company right at a very early stage before that company had any products. So we kind of had experience of taking something from nothing to to, to a larger company that, that raised uh, rounds of funding and yeah one thing led to another and the time became right for us to have a go at our own thing. It's always something we want, we wanted to do. And we, we kind of left that business with two ideas, both in the security space. One was around the shadow IT and the problem of SaaS sprawl, um, and employees signing up to hundreds of apps without without people knowing. And, and the other was more around education and employee training and things like that. Um, after like the first 40 calls, we kind of realized how big a problem this was. Um, harry's great at building things really quickly so within four weeks we we'd had 10 companies signing up to the platform using it and getting this complete visibility into to what their employees were using um and going back to when we first started at matomic i think we went to the pub maybe a month after i'd met harry um had one too many drinks and i i kind of said to harry like we're gonna be co-founders one day (laughs) um offhand but you know, when you have that feeling and you get on with someone, you're really aligned. Um, so I think what made us take the jump as well was just having that confidence in each other of how we work together and how aligned you were with what kind of business you wanted to build. Um, and yeah, that's that's how we started back in April
0: that's so cool and that was just, just a few months ago as you say back in April um, yeah. how, how old are you if you don't mind me asking Jacob I am um, I have to think about that 28 28 so um, yeah. for, for those watching on YouTube you can see that Jacob is is just like a spring chicken uh, <laughs> you, you look you're a very young looking 28 which I was at 28 and it all started to go wrong when I had children let me tell I you think that I've, a, I think I've aged over the last four months well I, I well that was going to be my, my next question was, but let me, I'll come on to that one in a second back, back when you and Harry we were sat in the pub because it's it's easy to sit in a pub in your late twenties yeah. when when actually yeah. you know it's it's quite unusual to have your life together in your yeah. late twenties, let alone yeah. uh, let alone know what you want to do with with you know with with business and stuff. And it's easy to sit in the pub, have a few beers, and say, oh, we should we should build something like that. We should go and do it. How yeah. what was the what was the thing that actually got you to do it? So you both left. Oh, I appreciate you'd already done this kind of thing, but you left. Yeah. You know, you left salaries, and you know, I presume you gave up perks and share yeah. options and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what 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 was the trigger that actually drove that?
1: I think I think there's a there's a lot of different factors there. I think one we were in a position financially where we could afford to have a go at this. I mean, we're trying to bootstrap this business without any external funding, and having a bit of of savings to be able to do that for for a year. That was the first thing that if we didn't have that, we weren't going to be able to do it. Like I said before, like the founder fit and knowing each other, I think is the number one most important thing and and that was kind of a a box ticked and then just like we had such conviction in this problem area that it we you know when you're working a job and you're doing things on the side and in the evenings and you're thinking about on the weekend and your girlfriend's getting angry at you because you're not really listening to the conversation because you're thinking about this we look just like taken over by this idea and this problem space that we really wanted to address and like I said it was a load of different factors all coming together t- that kind of just seemed like the right
0: time for us to to do this and yeah we, we went for it fantastic and you you've answered my next question which was funding so you're you're mm-hmm. bootstrapping this uh, yeah. from scratch and from what you said Harry is the Harry is the, the, the coding genius and yeah. does that make you the sort of the marketing and the sales genius I don't know about that, but, um, yeah,
1: I am on the marketing and sales side, um, which which we're still obviously um, figuring out. But, um, yeah, we're trying to bootstrap it, trying trying to keep control for as long as we can. Um, Like I said, I've been in sales for a while, so uh, I feel like I've gone back a couple of years in terms of doing cold calling and all the outbound. Um, But we... um, Yeah, we got the confidence from our previous business to kind of say, like, we had major roles in taking it from nothing to to something. And if we've got an idea that we've got conviction with, why can't we do that again, but on our own terms?
0: Yeah. So to, let's talk about the, the the practicalities of actually building something for MSPs. So I I've had the privilege over the last couple of years of following a couple of uh, some MSPs that I've been working with who've developed their own service. So yeah. MSP Easy Tools is perhaps the the best well known yes. of those. Um, yeah. Andrew and Jean, lovely people. I've known them for years, and I was they were sat in a room uh, with me when we you know I remember having a conversation with them about this app that this thing they'd created for their MSPs clients <laughs> where they could just press a button and get help and it logged all sorts of information and over a number of years that developed into oh i know another msp who'd like that and another one and another one and then yeah. they actually they said well let's create something which became msp easy tools and very quickly they discovered that what works really well as an internal application for just for your MSP has yeah. to be completely remade in a totally different way when you're dealing with other MSPs. And yeah. obviously they've done that and it's, it's now a huge success. Yeah. Um, MSP Dart Web, Tony Capewell's uh, product is, a, is another one that I've followed over the years. So I've been quite, lucky to to watch the development of yeah. these services and I know that often having the idea of, oh, we should do this and we know how to do that is actually, I think, 20% of the work. I think yeah. and maybe you'll tell me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like eighty yeah, totally. percent of the work is making it safe, making it secure, making it scalable. Are these the kind of headaches that you've had to be dealing with? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean obviously being a security company,
1: straight away you have to take your own security seriously with things like SOC2 and ISO and all these cyber essentials, different certifications. I think what what's easy to to forget at the start is these people that you're speaking to at the start, they're the ones that are essentially building the product, even though they're not writing the code. They are the ones that are going to make sure you're building a product that's going to be suitable for the vast majority of MSPs or the market, or the market that you're going after. Um, and Harry and I will find ourselves normally on a Friday afternoon kind of thinking up product ideas or going oh this will be great and and they're the really dangerous situations because you're essentially trying to make these decisions off your gut and not off what other people are telling you so normally when you're having those kind of conversations they should be cut and you should go and get on the phones book more meetings speak with more msps and really understand okay we know this is a broad pain point but like what specifically should we be building what's going to save you the most time what's going to help you educate your clients on this so a perfect example was we had msps who loved it but there's that classic period of like how do i get my clients to understand the risks of this and why it's important so that led to us building out a downloadable pdf where msps can plug in for completely free of charge, get a fully branded PDF report and then take it to their clients to say like, did you know you've got 20 employees and actually there's 400 SaaS apps being used? Mm. So without us talking or listening to those and trying to think of things ourselves, we wouldn't come up with those product features that really make a difference.
0: Presumably your product can even save the MSP's clients money so if they're paying for 20 licenses and they've only got seven people using them uh, in a SaaS application then it, it kind of pays for itself doesn't it? Exactly and that's
1: literally something we uh, we released the other week that was yeah like under Gartner say 40% of licenses aren't used mm. so if an MSP can go and sort of say look you've got all of these licenses we can save you this much money without having to have anything more than access to office 365 it's a really really effective way for them to save time for them to save money for them to look good to their clients um yeah it's a win-win all round.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. So let's talk about how uh, MSPs would benefit from from selling this. And before Mm -hmm. I do, you you said two words earlier, which I'd like you to give me a clarification on, which may be helpful for my audience as well. Shadow IT. Tell me exactly what Shadow IT is.
1: (laughs) Yes, so... If we think i don't know 20 years ago shadow it would have been someone bringing in their own usb stick or their own floppy disk to kind of put in and and that was the risk of shadow it what shadow it is essentially is anything that employees are using that the central it team or the central security team don't know about um and obviously we've seen thanks to salesforce SaaS become staple and everyone's spinning up SaaS applications. We've done that with Ploy and it's so easy for people to build it. And it's also so easy for people to use it now. So yeah, shadow IT in short is anything that your employees are using. They might be granting permissions. They might be putting sensitive data in there that you don't know about. It's in the shadows.
0: Jacob, You're 28. Have you ever even seen a floppy disk, let alone held one?
1: No, well, I think I may may have seen one in primary school, but uh, (laughs) certainly I don't know what they're for.
0: (laughs) Don't, don't, just don't, just don't. Someone of my age, I'm 20 years older than you. Floppy disks were a big part of my life back in the day. Anyway, anyway, okay, thank you. Thank you, I understand what Shadow IT is now. So I I guess, as you say, the the opportunities for an MSP then is you either invest in this tool as a business yourself in order to increase the protection for your clients and to save them money, which is yeah. great customer service, which helps yeah. retention, which is the bigger picture, or you you sell it to you sell it onto your clients as an add-on. Yeah, I, I appreciate early days. You're four and a half odd months into this, but from the MSPs that are already uh, buying into this, what what's what's the mix between those giving it away versus those selling it? It's been it's, it's a really good question, and it is a
1: bit of a mix at the moment. So I would say the the MSPs that are adopting us now are kind of at the forefront. There's a big shift, I think, in MSPs moving towards cybersecurity, starting with cyber essentials, trying to include more of it like vulnerability scanning and dark web monitoring has been in for a while. But everyone's always trying to fatten up their offering and reduce the risk of all those kind of things that are happening. So what we've seen is initially MSPs are taking this on because they want the visibility and they want to reduce their liability. but then it gets passed on to the client after a number of months. Um, when new clients are, are being signed with that MSP, it's going into their initial security bundle. Um, we're, we're like an insignificant cost in terms of going into that bundle. So it's easy for them to pass it on with new clients as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, look, Jacob, best of luck to you. Uh, not you need luck, I think. I think you, you <laughs> I and Harry. We <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone everyone needs luck in the early days, but I think yeah. you and Harry are, are doing things the right way. Certainly, as I said to you before our interview, your marketing is really good. It's Thank it. it's a really mature looking uh, uh, website. Uh, you come across professionally. The fact that you, you know, the, the, an MSP that we both know is really, really happy to introduce us uh, yeah. with an endorsement as well. That says a lot about what you and Harry are doing. So best of luck to you tell us what your website is and tell us uh, if we want to have a chat with you personally what's the best way to get in touch with you yeah so the
1: website is joinploy.com, and you can uh, email me at jacob at or you can drop a uh, message in the contact us platform on linkedin anywhere we'll we'll respond instantly as long as it's not in the middle of the night but um that's how to get in touch
0: Paul Green's MSP Marketing
1: Podcast.
0: This week's recommended book. I'm Paul
1: Katsoff, and I recommend The Seven Stories Every Salesperson Must Tell by Mike Adams. This book is amazing because it teaches you, as an MSP, how you need to present yourself and your stories to your clients so they can see how you're going to win and solve their headaches on their side.
0: Coming Coming up next week...
1: Hey, my name is Don Colliver, former blue man and touring professional clown, but now I'm a technical public speaking trainer at Google and professional speaker at various cybersecurity events. And if you're wondering about how to keep your
0: non-technical audience or person you're speaking to prospect engaged when you're delivering a technical solution, listen up right now hit subscribe on your podcast platform and if they've got a notification bell hit that as well you'll never miss an episode because on top of that interview next week we're also talking about real work versus noise there is a lot of noise around notifications phone calls emails staff clients all of it and you have to quieten it all down so you can focus on real work. I'll explain what real work is next week and as well as telling you how to quieten down that noise. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MS- MS- MSP Marketing Podcast.